Great, great to see you guys. Thank you for joining us. We got, we got lots of you here today. We had over 200 people register, just around 200. We think we'll have about 50 people show up for live for the for the um, webinar. But then we also we also do the podcast, so we have about double of you show up. Um, I'm Sarah Cooperman. I'm the CEO of SCW Fitness Education. I'm so excited to have you guys here. If you move your mouse, you can go to the bottom of the screen and you'll see the green share button. Go to that left and you'll see the chat box. And just click on that if you don't mind. And I'd love you to type in, just type in where you're from. We can usually see your Zoom handle and tell what your name is. Um, but uh, feel free to type in where you're from. We love to see who we're reaching out to. So this is wonderful. Fort Myers, Georgia, Maryland, Boca Raton. Um, this is wonderful. Massachusetts, Idaho, Louisiana, New York City, couple from New York, Seattle, Washington. Love it. Um, that's Trisha. She's from Seattle. Oh my gosh. Hello. Um, I remember, okay, this is going back, but I remember Trisha you were like, it was right when COVID hit, you were kind of hysterical. Like the two of us were like almost in tears. Do I get on a plane? Do I leave my family? What's Hannah? She's committed to the industry. That, that woman got on a plane, did a workshop, came home, and I think didn't take the mask off for three years. Yeah, so we've got the beautiful Trisha Murphy Madden with us. She's a 29-year veteran of the industry. She actually has been the on-set director and casting director for Amazon Halo. Very exciting. She got the Fitness Leadership of the Year Award from IDEA in 2020. She's the National Education Director for Savier Fitness. She's the co-creator of Bar Above, the co-founder of Homeroom Fit, blah, blah, blah. Amazing. I'm very happy to have Trisha here. Sheldon actually is the former national training director for Les Mills, um, and he is the lead train the lead Les Mills core trainer in the USA. Their core program. He holds <laughs> a science degree in human nutrition. He's the executive director of a wonderful personal training center at the Universal Athletic Club. He's been in the industry just about twenty years, two decades. He's an experienced presenter, a lecturer, educator, writer. He's presented at URSA, IDEA, CanFit Pro, MACMA. He's one of the favorite presenters at SCW. And I actually, I think Sheldon um, uh, really heads up a lot of our personal training sessions. And we've also got with us Paul Christopher, who frankly, uh, I got to be friendly with and really worked more closely with over the pandemic. So there is silver linings out there. Um, he is the founder and owner of Gravity and Oxygen Fitness in Boca Raton. He holds degrees. I love this. Like nobody has this many degrees in health science, athletic training, and healthcare administration. He's a certified athletic trainer, strength and conditioning specialist, and certified personal trainer, of course. He's been in this industry also about two decades, and he's one of the favorite mania, mania presenters. And Paul, I'm going to start with you. Feel free to take the screen if you want to show that wonderful um, uh, uh, slide that you wanted to share with us. 
why is core the core training so important? Oh, one more thing, one more thing. If you guys have questions, um, this is your webinar. Throw them in the chat box. I look at them, I read them, and I try to bring them up. So please feel free. Okay, now to you, Paul Christopher. Right. Good evening, everyone. How's everyone doing tonight? Uh, Paul here in Boca Raton, Florida. So Sheldon, as we were getting prepped for this uh, webinar, had a great term. Basically, it's two things. It's about uh, enhancing performance and mitigating injury. So we have a skeleton. I'm going to bring my, my spine skeleton out here in a few minutes. Skeleton, bones, they don't contract. We have the axial skeleton. What protects it dynamically and what moves it? Your, your muscles. Okay, so soft tissue. So your core is all about the capacity to transfer energy from the earth up to the fingertip or in reverse. We have the ground, and since the earth is a lot bigger than us, we use the force from the earth, we get a reaction, and that transfers a force, whether we're throwing a baseball, spiking a volleyball, pushing a sled, or do, hiking a mountain. It's all about the support of the spine, support of the organs, and transferring that, that energy to what we do in everyday life. So since uh, I've been honored with the chance to share my screen, let's go ahead and take a look at this right here. We're going to share this. Okay. So here is the basics of the foundation of the core anatomy, all right? These are the deepest layers. So once I unshare the screen, I'm gonna take a stability ball. Now imagine you have an onion in your hand and you cut an onion in half, all right? That onion has rings or layers, does it not? The deepest ring or layers of that onion is the support of your skeleton. So as we look at the screen, we have four main stabilizers. Your diaphragm, it is shaped like a parachute under the rib cage. It is your breathing muscles. So if, if any of you watching tonight think breathing's important, hey, guess what? That's your diaphragm. So we can already say that your core training is important just through breathing techniques. Then we have just below your transverse abdominis. Now this is a two dimension diagram, but if we looked at the body and we took our hands and we wrapped them around your side, basically that musculature encapsulates your entire lateral torso on each side and brings in or shrink wraps your internal organs, and those organs thus press into your spine to create stability control. Below that, we have our pelvic floor. So that is the basin of our core anatomy, and that will help with bladder control. So when we talk about women having babies, and then they have now compromised that muscular floor due to the passage of the baby, think of a bowling ball through a garden hose, we then have compromised the integrity of that muscular contraction. So through regaining uh, Kegel exercises, pelvic floor, adductor squeezes, we can regain integrity of the pelvic floor to hopefully reduce incontinence. And then we talk about the multifidus running up the spinal column. We have to think postural integrity. So that muscle is very much working in a zigzag diagonal pattern all the way from the sacrum up to the cervical area. So these four main muscles are the primary foundation of your core stability. I this figured to give everyone great. a little anatomy one-on-one. -on -one. Hopefully you guys <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's wonderful. And you know what? I'm going to shoot over to Sheldon because I really feel like he, it, it, like one sentence or less, he nailed why is training the course so important? Well, yeah, it's, it's prevent injury and to perform better. Okay. If you, if you, you live better and you perform better, you're going to feel better. But here, the, the, the most important thing for everyone to know watching this is like Paul showed the spine. If you just hold that spinal column up, the spine, you see how he shakes that spine around? Like if you strip away all the connective tissue and, and ligaments and muscle weight, that spine will buckle very quickly under very little load. So, and it doesn't like that. It's not an elbow. It's not a knee. It's meant to be a still static column. So the, 
why do you train the core is because the muscles around the core that surround it close to it like that that um you know transversus abdominis diaphragm pelvic floor they work internally externally okay you've got the bigger muscles you've got your you got your um you know your rectus abdominis you got your your obliques you got um rectus spinae those muscles are meant to stop the motion around the spine it's to keep it from moving it's not really meant to pull it out of alignment so why do you train the core if i could just preach this to everybody it is so the spine does not move when you're trying to make the limbs above and below it move around so you mitigate spinal injury and you perform better injury prevention and performance injury prevention and performance um i gotta say i love starting with the slide thank you so much paul for doing that and i love the simplicity sheldon you know that you bring to us and trisha what do you think what's your thoughts why why is training the core so important well i work with a lot of active aging clients now if i when i'm teaching i'm always teaching in that population now and for me it's really about keeping my clients on their feet so uh for for my particular group it's about creating patterns of movement where they learn to engage their core so that when the world underneath them gets unstable they have the ability to respond to that um, by building the muscles of their core um, and using balanced training so i for me that's the number one thing because that's my motivator right now but personally you know i think why build your core muscles it's so that you can surf or you can hike or you can run it's it's really about finding a lifestyle that you can say yes to almost anything. Uh, I mean, I know our clients like to do core work for for um, kind of ex external reasons, what what they look like um, in clothing. But really, for me, it's just like, hey, I want to be able to say yes. Yeah. Before we turned the camera, and I was I was shouting about it's ba <laughs> bathing suit season will come you know, global warming, I feel like it's here in some parts of the country. Um, but yeah, we think about it and we, we think, oh my gosh, it's my core, it's my core, I need a six pack. And I feel like, well, you know, you hit the age of 16, it's more like a pony keg, you know what I mean? It's just brings you back to your college days. So what I was thinking is, Trisha, I'm going to start with you. What are the less discussed muscles of the core and how do we train them? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, both of us work with a lot of active agers. There's a lot of misconceptions that the core means your abs, but what are some of these, these less discussed muscles that we should pay attention to? I find at least just in kind of recent years, I haven't, I struggle to help my clients understand how important it is to strengthen the muscles of their back. You know, they love at the end of class to, to get down and do crunches. They still do. Um, and of course, I always live in the headspace of really giving consumers what they want and what they need in balance um, with each other. And so for me, it's, it's slowly educating them on how the back muscles affect um, their body being able to move in neutral spine safely, um, their body's ability to move and try new things and be functional. So golf swings, Pickleball is a huge thing out here. Like, so for me, it's always about telling them how those back muscles contribute to their lifestyle. Um, and then really 
educate and then move. I mean, it's it, for me, it's never about teaching a class and really like wowing them with choreography. It's really about giving them tidbits of information along the way so that as I offer these exercises, they're not blowing off the rows when they um, are looking forward to the crunches. Um, we got a great question from Heather. She said, would love to hear you how you train the older active adult to have strong core in simple language that they will understand. We are going to get to that um, it, with the next question we actually talk about. Um, so I want to kind of stick with what are the less discussed and, and, and muscles of the core that we need to train. Um, but I promise, Heather, I will get back to that. Sheldon, what do you think about that? What are the yeah. less discussed muscles? So um, I think when people think core, quite often they think about, you know, abdominals, obliques, sometimes, you know, low back, erector spinae muscles, but you got an upper and lower quadrant that also makes up your core secondarily. So you got number one, you've got your, um, your shoulder complex, right? You got your trapezius, rhomboids, levator scapula, those muscles that are in the upper and mid back that give you, help you with posture. Those muscles should be conditions because they get weaker. You tend to slouch forward and then you lose core stability. So doing exercises like, you know, I'll do like floor slides and things like that, excellent exercises to help condition those muscles. And below it, you got the muscles in your hip glute max, medius, minimus, those muscles that do hip um, extension and external rotation, it's the psoas complex, you know, those muscles that surround the hip and shoulder, upper, lower quadrant. When those, when those muscles start to move, okay, they work in conjunction by moving while the core stiffens and then the ones above it move again, which is what Paul was talking about, that transfer of power. So like squatting, deadlifting, doing a basic push-up, planking, those are combining the hip and shoulder complex in unison while you're trying to keep the spine from bending forward laterally, um, extending or rotating. And that that synergistic movement is is um, just activity for daily living too. This is it just happens constantly. We we don't do isolation exercises when we're living our life. We're using our muscles in conjunction with each other. So I. I Lo love that description. Um, Paul, I saw you leave the room. I know you went to get something. So so what are the less discussed muscles of the core? And of course, I want you to show the exercises. Um, quadratus lumborum. How about that? Low back protection. So the muscles that loudly flex the spine. So I brought some toys as I always do. Get your popcorn ready. Okay. So we have something like a dowel, glorified broomstick. So if we have an active ager or do something simple, we can go with your, your basic core four. So I love to remove any extremities from cheating. So I'm here now, I'm with an arms crossed hug. Now I can show you uh, anterior or I can show you posterior. All right, so now we're gonna work on salsa hips. So firing the quadratus lumborum where I'm coiling, bringing my hip towards my shoulder, shortening that distance. So by having them hug something, they can tactile feel. And then me as the professional will be behind them trying to give them cues. So working on that lateral lumbar flexion, and then I can work with lateral thoracic flexion. So whether they're 78 or they're 14, you're beginning to show um, isolated movements and then we'll begin to incorporate that. So went from lumbar lateral flexion to thoracic flexion and then so, with rotation, all right? Uh -huh. I might be, Spotting them at the hips saying only rotate as far as you can't move the hips. 
because then you're beginning to work too far and you're not really working the trunk muscles. And then of course we have pelvic tilt. So I gave you the side view. We work with the posterior tilt and the anterior tilt. You'd be surprised how many people can't even do a proper pelvic tilt correctly. And that may be the sign that they need the essence of core training one-on-one. -on -one. So once we've done our lumbar lateral flexion, thoracic lateral flexion, rotations and pelvic tilting, then I might begin to incorporate a lot of these at the same time. Here is the beginning of our shot pattern. I'm going down into flexion and rotation, and then doing that opposing extension and rotation. So I might give my clients four or five of those, and then I might begin to incorporate the other way. And then now, if they can begin to create this kayak motion without cheating with the stick in their hands, now I'm truly getting integrative in that three-dimensional pattern. If people have trouble doing things standing, is stability ball one of the greatest tools of all time? I love to have people feel here. Now, uh, you might have to bring it down a little bit more, Paul. So now I'm working trunk motions. I have my 12 o'clock, my three. My Paul, six. we can't see you. Oh, I'm we, sorry. Can't, we see your head. We're sorry, we're there not seeing the ball. There we <laughs> go. Okay. Thank you. So 12 o'clock, three, six, nine. Okay. I'm going to push your tilt towards you guys. Lateral flex to my right for my three o'clock, arch for my six, to my left for my nine. 12, three, six, nine. I'll give you the side view. So there's my 12, my three, my six, my nine. And then when they feel comfortable, now because of the tactile feel of a ball under them, we are now massaging the spine and we're creating core um, contraction in all different directions. That's fantastic. We did get a, a question, Paul, about are these also great exercises for muscle recovery? Um, mm -hmm. And, and LaShawn, I think that's sometimes kind of hard because we don't know what they're recovering from, but um, I'm going to pull my lawyer hat on here and I'm going to say, you really, when you're dealing with somebody with uh, that's post-injury, you got to work with their physician or their physical therapist and then take it beyond there. But for range of motion exercises, those are fantastic, Paul. And with without using weighted resistance, um, it seems like it's pretty protective. It is very protective. Um, I know it's a very vague question in regards to the recovery. Let's say if somebody was sore in their glutes and their quads from an intense leg day, would these exercises help with recovery from the leg day? Um, not necessarily, but it's a great uh, way of staying active in the recovery days between your next major muscle group load. So I think in that sense, you're always improving by getting better every day and focusing on something that might be uh, a little bit less attentive. Um, great answer. And I'm going to throw this at you. Um, uh, actually, if, if it's okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ask uh, Sheldon this. Uh, Heather wanted to know about training the older active adult to have a strong core and what simple language can they use to understand? And I know Sheldon, you deal with a lot of trainers. You manage a lot of trainers at a personal training center. How do you do that? How do you communicate with the older adult? Well, yeah. Okay. If, if I can talk more about, I suppose, the coaching side of it, especially for the older adult versus the biomechanics side, um, we try to encourage our trainers to avoid a lot of complicated language that forces them to focus on uh, narrowing their waist a lot when they're trying to do a core stability exercise. Narrowing waist, pushing low back toward floor, we just keep telling them to coach the brace, coach the tightening, coach the brace. 
more than narrowing because we don't actually want the old, our older adults at least focusing on a transversus abdominis contraction because that's a very small, thin, weak muscle. And usually, unless you are someone who is a physical therapist and quite trained on how to fire that muscle correctly, it's tough for the general personal trainer to really get that. However, that muscle, the muscles that are considered the outer unit muscles, those muscles are, are, are contract by gripping and squeezing as if someone's going to punch you in the stomach, right? So when you do that, those muscles will stop the motion of the spine. So someone who's older, maybe they have limited movement. Maybe they don't have the same body awareness as someone who may be a bit more younger athletic. They can understand that quicker. Secondly, when you're coaching someone, you, you want to use language that gets anyone to understand the pattern externally. So it's avoiding telling them what body part moves, what direction, but tell them what, what does the move feel like, sound like, imitate, um, what should I sense and feel around me? Because no matter what age group, uh, peer, there's a lot of peer-reviewed research that shows that people understand a pattern better, they recall it quicker, and it delays fatigue. I'll, for example, um, I don't have the space to, uh, Paul, maybe Paul can go down to a plank, <laughs> of course, yeah, all right. So if I were to go into a simple plank, uh, and it could be a high plank, uh, I may tell someone who may be in a high plank to just spread your fingers, hands under shoulders or elbows under shoulders, and to take, yeah, there you go, take your elbows and try to drag the mat towards your toes, okay? And as you're dragging the mat towards your toes, you're not telling them to bend and abduct at the elbow. You're not telling them to, to draw the belly button in toward their spine. That simple pattern will wake up the rectus abdominis quickly so the language is simpler, you think less and react more. And we found that for older population, they like that language better because they get it and they can react quicker. Um, so as far as movement, I mean, really, uh, I'll be simple and quick. When it comes to movement with the older adult, we, we actually avoid doing patterns that have motion of spine. We just stabilize, stabilize, stabilize only for our trainers. So if you want to do a pattern that is rectus abdominis focus flexion, we anti-extend, we plank pattern. You could do it um, completely prone, or you could do it on an incline. If you want to work lateral flexors, we'd focus on anti-lateral flexion patterns. So we will do a lateral plank, like Paul's doing there, or we will focus on a walk. He talked about working quadratus lumborum. Yeah, there's a Copenhagen, right, with a pull. A brilliant pattern to do is a simple walk. Have them hold a kettlebell or something like that in any hand, one side and have them do a heel-toe walk, and you'll notice that the, the QL complex will fire, okay? Uh, and they will be able to do a pattern simply without sitting, standing, getting on the floor, crunching. He's going to do a walking pattern, right? So there's your uni, unilateral walk. Right there, his, quadru, his QL complex is firing to keep his pelvis from doing this kind of thing while he's walking, you see? And you keep the spine safe. So if you're someone who's trained an older adult, it is a good idea to try to minimize spinal movement. Plank, lateral plank, carries. I uh, think... Uh, um, I think, uh, Trisha, you are mentioning about working the, the posterior chain, and that's forgotten. So doing simple patterns like a simple uh, supine hip bridge is an easy, easy pattern. It's anti-spinal movement, uh, as long as they can get down on the floor. If they can't do that, then you can do a simple, uh, you know, like uh, um, a unilateral um, isometric deadlift or a pattern like that where you have slight hip extension and flexion from the hip with the spine straight. There's simple ways for the older adult to do a pattern. Coach the brace, not the narrow. Yeah, this is great. And um, we did get a question from Susan said, um, Susan was asking 
Is this possible on a chair for those who don't have core strength to sit on a ball? And of course, it's, it, you know, Paul said, yes, you can do this. Um, and Susan also asked, could you use a small dumbbell if she had no dowel? So, and Sheldon, I really like you just talking about maintenance of your posture to stabilize is just a great way to work the core with that one dumbbell. And I did like, Paul, how you showed the variation of the plank on the elbows rather than on the hands, because there's a lot of um, wrist dysfunction or, or sensitivity as we age and being able to do it on your elbows and then even making it a little bit lighter by bending the knees and putting the knees on the ground shortens the length of the lever and shortens the resistance, you know, the, the, the body weight that the person's experiencing. Um, Trisha, you do a lot of training with just the 40 plus. I know Pete, you and Pete McCall had a wonderful um, workshop not too long ago um, using uh, the 40 plus market. What, you know, how do we convince these clients that functionality of our core is key? And it's not just about that, like you mentioned, the waistline. Uh, how do we do that? And, I, and also help us a little bit with the language we can use with our older adults. Uh, you know, for me, language is, is in, in group fitness, you know, we're talking about, you know, not one-on-one -on -one training, so a little bit different. And for me in group fitness with, I call it athletic aging, you know, 40 plus, um, we're talking about people have been in the gym probably most of their adult life. There's a lot of people that are in our health clubs every day taking classes that have been doing aerobics, kickboxing, step aerobics, they've been through it all. And so they're still in um, fairly mobile um, places in their life. They still wanna work really hard, but they need to do it safely. So for me, the language is more along the lines of relating it. Like for me, there's subjective cueing and objective cueing that comes into play, right? I'm gonna use in my athletically aging classes, terminology that surrounds their goals in life. Hey, if you want to be on the dance floor at your grandchild's wedding, I want you to try this. I want you to try to reach for the ground a little further. If you want to be able to go sit on the curb at a parade, <laughs> I want you to try this. So I try to relate a lot of the motivational cues when we're doing sort of these challenging exercises to everyday activities. Um, I, don't, I don't dumb down the language, but I'm certainly not gonna, if I say something like, uh, we're gonna work the posterior chain today, I'm certainly going to say, and what that really means is uh, blah, blah, blah. My clients still want to look good too. And I think that that's the important thing is that is, is that we can't always ignore that, right? They, they may be getting older. We're all getting older. I'm older. It's, we still want to be functional and we want to look our best. And so I try not to ignore those components, recognizing that uh, we're complex at every age. So uh, yeah, I, I keep the, the language simple, but my motivation is about big picture stuff. Um, in terms of how I like to train, uh, with my athletic or active aging population, I really like to do layered cueing in group fitness. So I always start with the base. If I'm doing a single leg deadlift, I, I start with a, a kickstand and I make it really obvious that these are choices. So if, if if this feels good to you, but you want more, 
great. So I, I really try to use layered cueing as an approach to invite them to take the exercise further. I also openly acknowledge with my students that some days are better than others, right? That some days maybe they're coming back from knee surgery after two months and, and they're gonna look around and, and I'd like to acknowledge that it looks different with each passing day. So um, in terms of the specific exercises you were demonstrating, like for me in group fitness, when I'm teaching athletic or active aging, I do, I do a lot of prone work, but I do a lot of tabletop, a lot of, um, I'll even do elevated tabletop with the hands like put yoga blocks under their hands. Um, because for me, tabletop is such a great starting position and it's so tan, like every, a lot of people can do it. So um, that's certainly Patricia, when you're referring to tabletop, you're talking about being on all fours, your hands, hand, hands and knees. Knee. Yeah. There we go. That's position. why we have Paul. <laughs> I love it. I love it. For me, that position there, you know, I can take my arm laterally. I can take my arm straight forward. I can take them through all three planes of motion in that position, but I'm not then once I go into plank with my athletic aging population, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm already out. You already lost me where this is always so manageable. So um, I don't take away prone work. I don't take away wrist work, but I oftentimes live in this, in this space here. Oh, that's fantastic. And that, and we got a question from Heidi. Um, and, uh, Heidi asked about how you do core work in the pool. Let me make sure I've got this area. Uh, um, what do you recommend exercises in the pool for individuals who may be suffering from arthritis or are overweight and they're having pain or struggling with the land exercises? So I'm going to answer that because obviously I adore aqua exercise. Um, I'm going to kind of emphasize what Sheldon talked about of stabilization or bracing the core being very, very important with active agers. And the beauty of working in the water is you can simply stand with your feet wide apart, you know, not necessarily hip width apart, even a little bit wider, soften the knees and just sweep the arms side to side. You don't have to grip anything. So if they have arthritis, you know, we're not worried about that. They can even enhance it, put wave webs on and really spread their fingers or make palm, make their palms straight. And I wouldn't even clasp them together. I'd keep a slight web between them. Um, when you keep a little bit of space, it actually also um, works as and helps you create more of a current. And I liked what Paul just did with putting both arms together and you sweep them under the water and you can sweep it down also like a golf swing, Paul. You can take it lower. So you can practice pickleball and tennis, but then you can go to golf and I don't know, you know, slapping a grandchild. Okay, I didn't say that out loud. But what we're trying to do is stabilize the core against the resistance of the water. Water is 12 times the resistance of air. You can, you can, if they're experiencing any shoulder discomfort or any thoracic spine discomfort, you can have them bend the elbows and anchor the elbows on the side of the waistline and then sweep side to side, moving the body. So if you reduce the lever length, instead of it being so long, you're gonna bend it a little bit shorter. That makes it feel as though you're, you're working less because you've reduced your resistance because you've reduced your lever length. 
Because in the pool, you're dealing with surface base, like how wide the fingers are, if you're wearing gloves or not, lever length, how long it is. You know, there's different variables in the pool. So that's, that's interesting. And I'm telling you now, guys, we have a lot of active agers and they're craving attention because they've been so isolated. So Trisha, I love that you brought up group, that the group exercise dynamic and a lot of the active, active agers don't wanna exercise in their home. They wanna get out and the pool is a very safe environment to do that. Sheldon, what are you finding um, uh, being successful with small group training? Because I know that you tend to have a lot of expertise in that area as well, not just for active agers, but for general strength training. How are you utilizing a small group session? As far as you like, like core, like core and where we weave it in, how it works. Yeah. So um, we have a, a few different modalities of small group training at our facility. Uh, one of them is more performance based. One is purely functional and the other one's more like old school bodybuilding aesthetic style training. If I just go in the middle and do the functional one, um, we don't always choose exercises that are like that isolate the core. Every, every exercise in a circuit incorporates the core somehow. But there's always a big debate, like, do I do, do I do core exercises or do I just do exercises that just incorporate the core? We actually had to really flip the script and then make sure that you are, we are actually including exercises now in the workout that include core, because we want to be able to coach these clients what it's like to brace and keep this part still while the limbs above it and below are able to move. So the coaches are actually quite attuned to using the language about, it's basically this, right? What do we call it? A proximal stability creates distal mobility, right? So if anybody at home doesn't know that, look it up. It's just the way the core is meant to move. And so we have to pick exercises that help the client practice that whole idea. Uh, so typically, for example, if we go to a function, we might have a three exercise circuit. Move A, maybe your simple, maybe it's a unilateral anterior press. Maybe move two is going to be alternate push pull. And maybe move three, we truly work uh, on uh, core stability with a simple walking plank pattern. If you go to circuit two, you might have a knee dominant pattern like a goblet squat. And, and I'm just throwing things out there. Second pattern may be some as simple as a unilateral pull down. Third exercise, okay, we want to work um, uh, anti-lateral flexion. So we may bring in our uh, lateral walk, our, our unilateral walk. Though that third exercise is always designed to activate the core by keeping it stiff. So when the coaches see the client in that movement, their language changes. It is all about bracing, 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 keeping that part still, keeping the spine in neutral, let the limbs move at that point. And we stop any range of motion if you detect that that's running out of place. So it's a big, big theme in our, in our small group, especially function, that the coaches know how to cue uh, trunk stiffening. All right. Um, so the brace is the key for us with small group. Oh, that's great. That's interesting. And and I also appreciate that you brought in that it's not just the upper body movements that's going to engage the core, it's the lower body. So I'm, I got another question. So with aquatics, just standing stable and moving one leg side and across or moving it forward and back, you have to engage your core to stabilize. And that, that key term is bracing. Um, Paul, how do we train for rotational strength and why is this so important? So as Sheldon mentioned, the idea of our capacity to produce force is in our ability to resist it. So first and foremost, we have to have to have stiffness of the spine. 
So I'm all about the anti-rotation, the anti-lateral flexion. So when it comes to even something such as partner training, we love to do what's called earn your position. So if I'm here in a position and I've got to hold that, I have someone else resisting my arms up, down, left, right, and I've got to be able to maintain this statue position and develop isometric resistance against those external forces. So once I've, I'm confident that a client or my group has that, then we begin to add the idea of chop patterns. So I'm going to raise up a little higher. Okay. We've got banter. So I love to create the, the isolation where now, uh, I'll show you here, right? Right now, my lower half is locked, and then I'm going to only move from the navel up. But then after I've done some of that, I want to integrate. So now I'm purposely creating this gyrotonic motion where my hips have to follow my hands. Now that's more incorporative of a baseball swing, a volleyball spike, a pitcher's throw. So by doing that, now I'm getting involved with the idea of promoting motion. We can also do anti-rotation here where I'm doing a tomahawk. We all know about pallock presses. So developing or commanding and demonstrating that you can resist forces will then lead to promotion of the actual movement where now I can get into promoting these chop patterns of low to high. All right, we can even get more. I hope everybody can see that. Uh, Paul, I hope everybody can see that you were really pulling on a band, which oh, yeah. was great. Yeah, that was anchored. So, so if you notice, I'm going low high, creating those diagonal chop patterns. I could then take now the handle and the nylon, marry them together. Now I pull across my chest and to create that physics lever, I push away from my body and I create that stiff arm effect. So I'm using a cam system like the old school Nautilus machines and I'm making a human cam with a resistance band and now I'm really getting challenged here by that rotation. If we wanted to add level change, now I do what's called C curves where I go high above my head and low. The whole principle is I'm exposing myself to varieties of transverse load, whether it be anti-rotation or promoting rotation. And of course I can do the other side of my body. And that creates a comprehensive transverse rotational core movement. Um, and, and I'm going to throw this out at you. Um, CLS, I'm not quite sure what that stands for. I'm uh, one of our um, attendees. How do you suggest doing all these exercises with overweight aging populations or individuals with joint replacements, you know, knees or hips? Uh, how do we do this with our aging group? I'm going to, I'm going to hit up um, Sheldon for that. How do we modify these? I think is the question yeah. that is being asked. Well, this, uh, I'll answer this in two parts. Uh, one, as far as why we're doing this rotational stuff, and this may relate to what is being asked here. I think it's important to understand just the spine just for a second here, because you, you got to remember down in the lumbar spine, you got these five thicker vertebra that, uh, they don't, they don't like to move around a lot. They have facet joints that are linked up in a fashion they don't allow lots of movement, okay? So it's really important to teach people if there's any spinal movement that ever happens, it's got to be above the belly button, like Paul just said, because as you move up to the lump, to the um, to the thoracic spine, the facet joint starts to change angle, and they get a little, they can get a little more motion in multiple degrees of motion, especially rotationally. Go to the cervical, you've got a lot more range of motion because the facet joint changes even more. Now, we live in a very three-dimensional world, and quite often we're reaching this way, we're throwing things that way, and when you imagine the disc, here's a disc, and Paul just had it up there, right? 
the discs do not like to turn against you like that because you're going to get what's called a shear force. And a shear force will create a grinding motion against the intervertebral disc that will create the degenerate over time. If somebody is overweight, deconditioned, cannot do that kind of a dynamic pattern, a simple thing that you can, I'll use Paul's example of exercise he just showed. He just did a dynamic uh, elastic pattern from a standing position. You could literally stand static. Get your feet in a proper anatomical position. Plant your heels down and, and torque your feet out into the ground. They won't move, but they're going to force your, your glute muscles to fire and stiffen at the pelvis, right? Like a clamp on your pelvis. Once that's clamped, I'll preach it again. You have to coach the ribs to slightly push down toward the hip while still keeping your shoulder blades together because you're creating a barrel. You're going to create a barrel of, uh, of resistance. Then you coach the, the brace, now your upper body is allowed to move, okay? While you're try while while the, the elastic is going to try to pull you back, your arms are allowed to move freely. You don't have to have to move in that kind of a dynamic pattern for someone who's deconditioned, overweight, or has pain in the low back. You mitigate mitigate any spinal movement and just move the ball and socket joint of the pelvis or move at the AC joint, which is allowed to move freely. The spine is really, damage can be done when it's moved freely, okay? So if you are someone who's cueing someone who has this kind of an issue, just have them stiffen up everything and move what's, a, what's meant to be moving and do it static and you're in a much better position That for that particular exercise. Yeah, and, and I love, Sheldon, how you're using a sticky mat. I mean, I keep thinking of my yoga mat. You know, I plant my feet, I push out, I pull in. That stabilizing workout, that's tough. Yeah. Doing that plank as you're in the plank, pulling the elbow towards the feet, you know, and the feet, you know, towards the elbows, or even pushing the elbows out or pulling the elbows in, sticking to that mat. That's a lot of resistance, but you generated the resistance yourself. So there's a little bit of safety involved with that, that it's not a weight that you're lifting because you're embarrassed that the other people in the gym are working working out with you are doing more weight. You use your own level of resistance. I, I think that's incredibly valuable. Trisha, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with you here. So how do we train our core with individuals who may be deconditioned or struggling to get up and down on the floor? Do you have any, you know, in your group, <laughs> your group fitness wisdom to share with us here? Yeah, I think always, um... Well, two things, you have to create enough community in your group fitness classes that people can walk into your space and have that conversation um, or be willing to communicate with you, right? So A, show up to your class early if you're teaching group fitness, um, especially if you know you're going to have people who are more foundational or, or coming back or active agers. Uh, and then always assuring that you have the tools available for them to self-adjust. Um, I don't even like to call it modifications. I'm just always like, um, here's some options, right? So uh, if I'm, I'm trying to think of a good way to say it. So if I'm in a room, instead of saying, well, those of you who don't want to do X, you can do Y. I usually demonstrate X, Y, and Z and then it's a self-select. So um, a good example might be, if you wanna work on functionality of your chest muscles um, and, and the form of your push-ups, I want to show it to you with um, my hands on an elevated surface. And that elevated surface could be a bench, it could be yoga blocks, 
It could be a bike even, it could be a wall. Um, if you want to work on um, balance, try it this way. So I kind of sell it more based on um, different periodization tools <laughs> so that I'm, I'm giving them a upsell on trying it in a way that'll get them moving safely. I also always cue things like, um, let's get down to the ground. When you get there, go ahead and find your way to X position as opposed to trying to get them to follow me. So it's like I give them where they're going ahead of time and then I don't, I don't force the pace of coming off the ground or coming to, um, to the ground. So that they, if those who can get down there fast wanna meet me in a plank, great. But what I can do is give people an opportunity to take their time. I'm also, when it comes to equipment, I'm going to assure that I give them the space and time to do that safely. If you're using flat bands in group fitness, uh, totally agile 22 year olds have a hard time putting a flat band around their ankles. So stop making people do it standing when you know you have people in the room that are gonna struggle with that. You know, kind of look out, look at your, your class format and look for those moments where, you can give people an opportunity to not feel clumsy in the process. Um, if you have a hard time getting off the ground, if you have a hard time going to the ground, you don't wanna necessarily advertise it. So um, I think just creating an environment where you're constantly giving these things, not waiting for somebody to say they need those options and then not making it about levels. Yeah. Either. Giving them choices, making them feel like they belong. Um, mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. I really want to thank you guys. Thank you, Sheldon. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Tricia. Um, I love Carter puts these webinars together. We have our certification smash coming up, which our certifications are regularly $259 and you can get them as low as $159. This is a great program that we're offering. I'm going to show you guys a quick video. So we've got certification smash coming up May 19th. In June, we have our Aqua Exercise Summit um, where we have, we've got about almost 40 hours of education. We, we run all day Saturday and um, we've got some great workshops coming up just about on everything. Um, we also have a terrific certifications that are coming up at our Aquatic Exercise Summit. So I just wanna thank you guys again for joining us. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you all next Thursday night. Again, Sheldon, Paul, and Trisha, you guys are the best. Thank you, Carter. Good night, everybody.